I'm going to learn. Those in children's church may be dismissed. They've already figured it out way better than I have. Let's go ahead and stand, please, as we're able. We're going to read the first nine verses of chapter number one. First Peter 1, 1 Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively, the idea there is living, hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance uncorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now, for a season if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, whom, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And let's pray. Father, as always, we need you for everything. For our very physical lives, for our spiritual lives, for our growth in grace, for our ability to push towards Christ-likeness. For the strength to withstand the trials that you have brought to us. And I pray then for us that our faith would be strong, that whatever trial or testing you have for it, it would endure. I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. Well, a couple of things just by way of introduction to get going. We have, of course, been spending some time on Sunday mornings talking about, in general, the subject matter of forgiveness. And although I have far from exhausted the field, I'm going to use this morning to close that brief topic. And then this passage is one that we will come back to at the end. It is not my intention this morning to try and expound the passage per se, but to return us to its sentiment as we come to the end of the message. What I really want to do this morning is, in summary, turn our attention to the subject of forgiveness along three lines. 
This is an attempt to sort through some things more than it is a how-to. We'd all like to have the easy how-to. But I think the very nature of forgiveness defies an easy, simplistic, here's how you do it. It's more complicated than that. So then our attention will be turned to the three broad topics in summary. Number one, most Christians understand the fundamental facts about forgiveness as the Bible teaches them. Most Christians understand the fundamental facts about forgiveness as the Bible teaches them. And I would argue to you that there are three fundamental facts that the Bible teaches about forgiveness. Number one is that we need it from God. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 13, you being dead in your trespasses, in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. That word forgiven in Colossians 2.13 is the verb form of the word grace. And the Greek word is charity. Grace. It is a favor. The reality, folks, is that when God forgave us in Christ, He did us a favor. There's just no other way to put it. He did us a favor. Hey, do me a favor. Forgive all of my transgressions. Okay, I will do that. Fact number two is that because God has forgiven us in Christ, this becomes the basis of our forgiveness of others. These are facts I propose to you that most Christians are familiar with. That we need to be forgiven and God forgave us in Christ. And that God's forgiveness of us becomes then the benchmark, the pattern, the Reason, if you will, that we are obligated to forgive others. Why should, why should I do you this favor? Because God has done me this favor. Colossians, or Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And again, I would just point that out that if I might take some exception with our King James Bible, it reads as if God forgave us because Jesus asked him to, but that's not what Paul is saying. He's just simply saying that God forgave us in Christ. Our forgiveness came at Christ's expense. Colossians 3.13, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. So there are fundamental facts to the doctrine of forgiveness, folks. The most fundamental is this. We needed it. All believers have this in common. Their sins have been forgiven them by the work of Christ. 
All believers have this in common as well. Because they have been forgiven, it is upon that foundation that they are expected to forgive others. Then when the offense happens, and they will, and when the offense is acknowledged, and hopefully it will be, there is forgiveness. Because Christ forgave us, he did us the favor. And there is the third fact. And the third fact is this. Failure on the part of a Christian to forgive someone has serious consequences. Failure on the part of a Christian to forgive someone has serious consequences. Matthew 6.15, but if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 18.34, and his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Mark 11.26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now theologians have been debating since the verses were written what they mean exactly. Does this mean that God will take your salvation? Well, it cannot mean that. There are too many verses opposed to that. But I do think that it hints at this. I think that anybody who has a truly unforgiving spirit towards an offending brother should have a serious conversation with themselves about the authenticity of their own salvation. That if I cannot, even at the most basic level, bring to bear my sin and God's forgiveness of it upon your sin against me and my forgiveness of that, that I am perhaps seriously lacking in salvation. So these are facts, folks. These are facts that the Bible puts out there. They are non-negotiable. They, are, they cannot be edited. We need to be forgiven, and God graciously forgives us by executing His Son. Since God has done that for us, it becomes the basis of our forgiving others. And a failure to forgive has very serious consequences. At the very minimum, it is an impediment to the advance of our Christianity. At the very maximum, it might imply that we are not at all saved, but have deluded ourselves. And again, I would propose to you that most Christians understand them at some level as factual. that doesn't change the fact that most of us find forgiveness difficult. The difficulty is, of course, going to rely upon the intimacy of the offender. How close is that relationship? We forgive people. I mean, seriously, folks. We forgive people on a regular basis things that are inconsequential. We bump into people and we apologize, excuse me, of course. We're pushing our cart down the aisle. They're pushing their cart down the aisle. 
we're occupied, they're occupied, excuse me, I wasn't paying attention, no problem. But when the relationships are deep and intimate and when the wounds are deep and grievous, all of the facts in the world do not alter the depth of the hurt. In other words, I know facts. You know the facts. I know that God forgave me in Christ and I know that therefore I am to forgive you. And I know that if I don't, that if I harbor that grudge and nurse that wound, that there are serious consequences. I know those things. And that brings me to my second point by way of summary. Those facts do not exist in isolation. Those facts exist in the presence of our feelings. I don't just know facts, I have feelings. I feel. When I am struggling to forgive, or when you are struggling to forgive, it is rarely because of a lack of information. In other words, rarely do we say, folks, now it does come up, and by the way, somebody had written me a very kind question about forgiveness that I haven't touched in the morning service. They had specifically asked me if I would deal with it in Sunday school, and I thought that's a great place to answer that question on that very thing. Along those very lines. Very rarely, folks, does our matter of forgiveness get into certain kind of technicalities. Do I have to forgive them if they haven't apologized? Do I have to forgive them if they have not admitted their guilt? Those are technicalities, but but those are a minority of issues. The vast majority of times, folks, it is not the facts that are in question. It is our feelings that are in question. That are the issue. So it is not then ultimately a problem with my intellect. What I know is a problem with my heart. How I feel. I have been hurt. I have been betrayed. I have been wounded. I feel deeply and I remember consciously. Which brings me to this. As Christians, how are we supposed to feel about our feelings? They are, you know, part of being human. You really can't hurt your dog's feelings. You really can't hurt your cat's feelings. I told you the story not terribly long ago of our five-year-old grandson who mother told him because the dog was barking, go out and yell at the dog. She opened the door and said, Hank, you're an idiot. Hank was completely impervious to being called an idiot. You can't really get away with that with people. If you called somebody aside and said, hey, I want to talk to you. Yeah, what do you need? I just want to let you know that I think you're an idiot. You'll remember that a long time. Feelings are part of being human. They are a part of what it means to have been created in God's image. God has feelings. Something that on the one hand, I'm not sure we can really grasp, but something on the other hand, I'm pretty sure we never think about. 
when we think about the fact that God forgave us in Christ, almost as if it was a mechanical transaction that required no emotional input on his part. Okay, I forgive you. God can be angry, never sinful, but angry. God can be happy. Paul calls him happy. We don't usually think of God that way. We usually think of God as grumpy, but he really isn't. He's really happy. God can be sad. God can be jealous. Right? We even read in the Bible that the things that people do grieve God. Jesus was grieved. People made him sad. God can be jealous. He comes right out and says it. I'm jealous. I don't want you loving somebody else. I want you loving me. I don't want you to put me ahead of anybody else. I have to be first. I'm jealous. God can love. And in fact, folks, the Bible is very clear that people who have no feelings are dangerous people. Ephesians 4.19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. If you don't have the full range of human emotions, you're a dangerous person. We even have words to describe them psychologically, which include words like psychopath, pathological, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.2 of some who speak lies in hypocrisy having their consciences seared with a hot iron. No feeling. Cauterized consciences. So how should we as Christians think about feelings? They are part of our humanity. They are a reflection of being made in God's image. He has them and because he has them, we have them. We have no feeling that God could not have. But we should also understand that our feelings are as corrupted as our natures. They are unreliable masters. Now, wait a minute, I I need to correct myself. Because I can feel guilt and God would never feel guilt. And I can feel fear, but God would never feel fear. So I better correct that. I do have some feelings out of my depravity that God would never have because he is not depraved. But since my feelings are corrupted with my nature, I must always view them with caution. We all know the verse, folks. The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? It should always be a little red flag to us when anybody defends something they do with this argument. Well, I know my heart. Well, let the record reflect that God says you don't. God says you really don't know your heart. 
And in fact, God gives us at least one beautiful little example of how deceitful our heart can be. Proverbs twenty-two thirteen: The slothful man saith, there is a lion without. I shall be slain in the streets. This is a problem with his laziness, not a problem with lions. Our hearts lie to us, folks. My heart will lie to me to get me to do what it wants to do. It will distort facts. It will distort events. It just will. It will distort words. It will. It does. This is the nature of our feelings. And so God will not permit my feelings to be my master. In other words, when I feel afraid, what does God say to me? Well, if you're afraid, by all means, give in to your fears. Or does God say something different? Fear not, do this anyway. I can worry. When I worry, God does not say to me, give in to your worries. He says, be anxious for nothing. And folks, I would propose to you that the feelings that may govern my unwillingness to forgive cannot become my master. The facts are facts. And the feelings are real. And in fact, I would suggest that perhaps what we need to do sometimes is start by endeavoring to let God speak to our feelings. Not start with forgiveness, and I don't mean take 40 years to get around to forgiving, I'm just saying that let's start with the fact that we're, that we're hurt, wounded, scared, worried, mad, frustrated, bitter, and let's see what the Lord says about that, and let that speak to our forgiveness. So again, by way of summary this morning, here are facts. I needed to be forgiven. God was willing to forgive me in Christ. And if I fail to forgive, there are serious consequences. But I have feelings. And my feelings are hurt. And that brings me to the third part and begins to return us to the text this morning. I would propose to you that this relationship between Bible facts and human feelings are part of where our faith is tested. That the relationship between God's facts and my feelings are part of the trial of my faith. That's what Peter's talking about. The testing of our faith. Out of God's grace, remember that's the basis of forgiveness. Out of God's grace, He saves us through faith, which is His gift, Ephesians 2 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. 
It is the gift of God. And we saw as we spent a number of months in the book of Hebrews that the faith that God gives us is an enduring faith. In other words, folks, the faith that God gives will rise to all of the commands that God gives because God is the one who gave us the faith. It's not our, we don't, we don't make our own faith. Faith is God's gift. It is God's gift to us. And it has God's nature and dimensions to it. And it is able then to take all that he subjects it to. In fact, notice what Peter says of it in 1 Peter 1.7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold or silver. It's not the trial that is precious. It is the faith that is precious. It is the faith that is worth more than gold and silver. Gold and silver don't get their value because of the fire. The fire reveals the value of gold and silver. Everything that is not gold is burned up. That's the idea. That was the way it worked in Peter's world. Everything that wasn't silver got burned away. Became part of the the off-scouring or the outcasts. And what remained was the pure silver or the pure gold. So it is the trial of our faith The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The faith. We're talking about the faith, not the trial. The commendation doesn't come for the temptations endured. The commendation comes for the faith that endured them. Peter goes on, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though ye now see him not yet believing, because your faith is being tested in the fire, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That was its promise. The promise of faith was the salvation of our souls. If you'll jump ahead to 1 Peter chapter 2, I would propose to you that part of the testing of our faith is the testing of our emotions. First Peter 2, 1, wherefore laying aside all malice. That's a feeling, an ill feeling. And all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So 
So here's where we are, folks. Right? God presents to us certain facts about forgiveness. God is not stone and we are not stone, but they are in effect cut in stone. They cannot be undone. All human beings need to be forgiven. God will forgive them in Christ. God's forgiveness of us becomes then a basis of our relationship with others who offend us. God forgave us, we forgive them. And the failure to forgive has serious consequences. Those are the facts. But we know this, folks. We are not simply laboratory creatures. We are real living human beings. And we have then feelings. And it is those feelings that come into conflict with the facts. Do you deserve to be forgiven? How will I ever forgive this betrayal? How will I ever forgive in light of how angry that I am. And here is the testing of our faith. Not exclusive, but apart. And if you want to turn back to Psalm number 22, I would propose to you folks that one of the reasons that we find the Psalms so precious is because of this very thing. Is because they oftentimes are the record of people who are trying to bring the feelings and the facts of their faith into harmony. For instance, Psalm 22, 4. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted. Thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I'm a worm. No man. Reproach of men, despised of the people. All that see me laugh. Now, there are facts. You've acted and you've delivered, and here, here are my feelings. Here's where I am. Turn, if you will, to Psalm 77. This is a psalm of Asaph. I cried unto the Lord with my I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice. And he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed, Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with my own heart. My spirit made 
diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Is, doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my infirmity. This is my infirmity. I'm wondering where God is. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Facts and faith. Facts and feelings. Brought together. Here's God. Here's what he's done. Here's what he's promised. Here's me. Wondering where I fit in all of this. It is, again, I suggest, folks, one of the reasons that we find the Psalms so precious. Psalm 88. This is a psalm of Heman the Ezraite. Psalm 88.1, O Lord God of my salvation, I have cried day and night. Right? Let my prayer come before thee. Here I am 24 hours a day talking to you. Are you listening? My soul is full of troubles. My life draweth nigh to the grave. I am counted with them that go down to the pit. I am as a man that hath no strength. Facts, feelings. Verse 6, Thou hast laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Thy wrath lieth hard upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Selah. Verse number 11, shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave or thy faithfulness in destruction? Facts, feelings. There's a part of me, folks, as a pastor that would love to be able to offer you some straightforward, simple, five steps to guaranteed forgiveness. That all of your bad feelings would go away and all of your memories of the wound would be gone. But it just doesn't exist yet. It just doesn't. There isn't anything like that for us. I would be lying to tell you that there was. I can tell you this. The Bible sets forth certain facts. We are held accountable for our response to those facts. Our feelings are at war with them. This is part of the trial of our faith. Will we give in to our feelings or will we keep coming back to the facts? Will we just keep crying out to the Lord in faith or will we just cave to our feelings? This is, this is where we are, folks. 
This is where we are. We can yield ourselves to nurturing those wounds, to dwelling upon them, to reliving the injuries and the words that were spoken. Or we can keep coming back to the demands of the facts. And as we do that, we are like the men in the Psalms. We are crying out to our God, help me. Where are you? Here's what you have said. When does it happen for me? Here's the conclusion I've reached over the course of years, folks. So this is not, this is my observation, not biblical, not biblical truth. But here's the question. Do you want to forgive or not? God wants to forgive. He has made his position plain. He likes mercy. He wants to forgive. And so he's always oriented that way. Now I think it's possible to want to forgive and yet to be in agony over the feelings and we have all of these psalms of people, not who are dealing with issues per se, per, per se of, of individual forgiveness, but who are, re, who are agonizing their feelings in the face of their faith. A pattern for us. But you know, folks, if you just want to be mad, all the facts in the world aren't going to help you. They're just not. Let's pray. Father.